When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. Hello and welcome to another edition of Inspiring Stories, brought to you by Bauer and O'Dave, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. My guest uh, in this edition is uh, a man and a name you'll know extremely well, a voice you would have heard many, many times uh, on this radio station, no doubt. Uh, He's been selling cars for some 60 years and is still going strong. So it's time to say welcome and thank you, John Hughes, for joining us. Well, thank you, Tim. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, you have just come from the from the car lot to, to speak to us today. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> you've been doing this a long time. You obviously still get a thrill out of it. Where else would I be, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, ask this... someone else in your position. They might give you 100 places that no, they might be. No, no, no. I'm, I'm six days a week and half a day on a Sunday. It's extraordinary. Fortunately, fortunately I've got a very understanding wife. It's taken, <laughs> it's taken a while, I've got to say. But, yeah. you know, I love it. You know, the best thing about loving what you do is you never have to go to work. Mm. I, I think it's terrific. I'm very fortunate. I, I'm, I'm keen to know where that, that drive and that enthusiasm came from. So um, let's go right back to your, your childhood, John. Yeah. Tell us where you grew up. Yeah, yeah. well, that's interesting. Where did I get whatever it is that I've got? Where did I get that from? Um, well, I'm a beaky boy from Beaconsfield. Yep. And um, we, you know, my father went to the war, and when he came back, we moved to East Fremantle in a war service home. We had no money. Yeah. I shared a very small bedroom with two other brothers. And I think, looking back on it, because I've been asked this question many times before, looking back on it, when I grew, when I was growing up, I didn't really know what I wanted to be, but I surely knew what I did not want to mm. be, and that was my motivation. You know, I shared a very small bedroom with two other brothers. Um, we had the, you know, the, the, the toilet down the, down the back. Um, it was pretty pretty ordinary, and I hated it, yeah. frankly. Mm. And uh, I just knew when I grew up, I wanted. I didn't quite know how I'd get it, but I wanted to be better than that. Uh, my father was a fitter and turner uh, in the Fremantle uh, Harbour Trust for 30 odd years. He used to say to me, he, uh, talking about himself, he'd mm. say that he wouldn't make a lot of money, but he'd have a lot of people at his funeral. Well, he was right about the first one and wrong about the second one. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I never had a mentor when I was growing up. Maybe, and I'm not being unkind i think maybe i had an anti-mentor because mm. my father was uh, he's a good bloke you know he had yep. a lot of mates and he used to spend a lot of time up at the royal george hotel in east Fremantle. in fact i think he probably built that brick by brick <laughs> with the number of schooners he used to have up there but uh so th- where did i get it from i guess 
I guess it's because it was a sense of deprivation, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, we, we weren't poor. You we yearned for a better life. Well, yes. I thought there had to be better than this. Uh, I don't, and I don't know, having said that, where uh, my children today or children who, are, who grow up, you know, not necessarily affluent, but yep. you know, in reasonable times, where they get their drive and their motivation yep. from, they have to get it from another source. But for yep. me, it was pretty simple. I just knew I wanted to be better than what I'd had. Yeah. And and school? What was school like for you? Well, I uh, I went to a convent in King Street, East Fremantle. It's no longer there. And my mother had kept me there probably a couple of years too long. And then I finished up going down to Christian Brothers College in Fremantle. Yep. Now, Fremantle uh, in those days was what the economists would call a low socio-economic demographic. What it meant was we all had no bloody money. <laughs> And uh, and uh, my, because my mother had kept me too long in that convent, uh, incidentally, just at the convent, I'm left-handed. The nuns right. used to tie my left hand behind my back. Can you believe that? Wow! It was it was the devil to... the devil's hand? Wow! Fortunately, my mother happened to mention it to our local GP, who rang the school and said, "Don't you dare do that." Is that right? Yeah. So, you, so you were forced to oh, write and do everything right-handed. Well, they tried to, and, and I, I expect a lot of people now who left-handed have said they used to get even in this was a religious school, of course, but even in state schools, they'd get a, a ruler or a wrap over the knuckles to lose, use their left hand. I mean, what That's was extraordinary. Wrong? What was wrong with people in those days? Anyway. I went to Christian Brothers College, Fremantle, and it was a big, rough, tough school. Yep. And uh, the fact that uh, I was a bit late getting there, a lot of the boys had been together for a number of years and they'd formed their own groups. Mm. And I was the odd one out, and it certainly didn't help that I used to stammer and stutter a little bit. But I've got to tell you, Tim, and I've told this story many times to people, something happened to me in that school in the first two to three weeks that I've never forgotten, and I've shared this with a lot of people. A few weeks into that school, we were doing uh, an exercise in the physics laboratory, was involving dissolving some powder in a liquid in a test tube. There was a amount of powder left over. It was yep. called, I think, precipitation. You had to calculate arithmetically how much of that powder was left. 26 boys in the class, benches down both sides and across the back. <clears throat> I happen to be up in the back in the right-hand corner. The brother calls out, I want you to write your answer down. Don't show your answer to anyone and don't speak till I point to you. And if some of us can remember old school, that's the way they used to run schools in those days with discipline. Yep. And there was nothing wrong with that, Tim. Mm. There's a lot of lack of discipline around mm. today. Not, a, not allowed to in many, well, many circumstances. Tell you, I'd, have, I'd, have run, uh, I'd have the best school in WA. <laughs> no, don't I, doubt I, it. I wouldn't get too many pupils. <laughs> <laughs> the, parents, the parents would be coming in and assassinating me. <laughs> anyway, anyway, 26 boys in the class. I'm up the back in the right-hand corner. I've worked out my answer. A few minutes later, the brother says, uh, call out your answer when I speak to you and don't show it to anybody. So I'd written down 0.001. Mm-hmm. He points to the first boy on the left-hand bench. What's your answer? 0.01. Second boy, 0.01. Third boy, 0.01. Fourth boy, ducks of the class, the previous year, 0.01. Mm. 0 0.01, 0 0.01, 0 0.01, right-hand bench, 0 0.01. 25 times till it comes to the last boy, me, in the corner. Yep. And he said, call out your answer. And Tim, for some unknown reason, in that big, rough, tough school, that shy, nervous, introverted, <laughs> stuttering youth, I bit the bullet, yep. and I started out point double oh one. 
They all turned around and jeered at me. The dummy, the new, the new boy kid. in the corner. Yeah. The I lefty. was right, Tim. I was there right. You look, go. I've never forgotten that. So look. And not, what happened then? Silence? Well, you're not, you... well, look, you're not a wimp. No, yeah. I don't know what lesson they picked up. Out. Look, <laughs> how many of those boys do you think really had the right answer written down? They couldn't yeah. all be wrong, but they were influenced by peer pressure. 0.01, 0.01. Yep. Oh, well, I must be wrong. It's 0.01. No way. You stand up for yourself. You don't have to be belligerent. You don't have to be dogmatic. And you don't have to be – but you've got confidence. And if you've, if you've got confidence and self-belief, it comes out like perspiration on mm. a hot day. You know, you don't have to tell people you've got it. It just comes out. And I've never forgotten that. And I'm a point double oh one. Yeah. I often think when I'm talking to people, now what are you? Are you a point double oh one or are you a <laughs> A lesson in life. Yep. Learned very early. Do you still see anyone from those uh, school days? Did yeah, you maintain go, friendships? Well, I went to a school reunion for the first time probably in about 10 years ago. Yeah. A couple of guys uh, there from my original class. And I went back to my wife and I said, I can't believe how old those guys are looking. <laughs> you look in the mirror, you look alright yourself. Yeah, no, no, and I do. And I sponsor the school, CBC, yeah. CBC Fremantle. Yeah. And I go down there uh, every January, mm-hmm. early February, and I talk for an hour to the Year 12 boys, the boys mm-hmm. going into Year 12. And, you know, I give them some ideas and some lessons. It seems yeah. to go over it pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've I got – I apply discipline to myself and I apply discipline to my staff and I got that from two sources, Tim. I got it from Christian Brothers College in Fremantle, mm-hmm. and I got it from National Service. Maybe yep. you might talk about that a bit now or a bit later on, whatever you want. Go for it. I mean, well, obviously, right, said, okay. well, you know, that was the environment, the school environment. Yeah, right. Lessons learnt there, but yeah. uh, out of school, because I know you, you had a desire or an interest in going to university straight away, but uh, but well, again, finances were an issue. Well, well, that's right. That flows on from there. Okay, yeah. so when I left school, I was year 12. I got my... Uh, leaving certificate. It's mm-hmm. a TEE, I think, today. Um, I wasn't the brightest boy in the class, but I had a good work ethic. In mm. fact, I had a very hard work ethic, and I remember that. And anyway, we left school, and I, I had to get a job because we needed the money. We had no mm. money. I wanted to be a lawyer. Yep. Um, but couldn't afford to not. To, I, I had to get a job. Yeah. So I was practicing or studying uh, accountancy. Uh, and I went for a few jobs with accountants. The problem is I couldn't add up. <laughs> I remember one guy saying to me, I'll oh, just add up these. He said, uh, this was in the interview, add, yeah. up, add up these. He said, it's not very important, but add it up. Yeah. Of course, well, bloody important, of course. <laughs> Ran out of fingers. Well, <laughs> this was before calculators. So anyway, finally, it came the end of January. I got offered a job for an interview, after an interview that I did early in December. I'd forgotten about it, actually. It was a personnel cadet with the Department of External Territories in Canberra. Yep. Now, I'm a Fremantle boy. I'm 17 mm. years and two months mm. old. Never been outside of WA before. Never been on a plane before. Mm. So I had to take it. So I took the job. And I get on this plane, DC-3, small plane. I think it landed about six times before I got to Canberra. I had to stop for fuel. Yep. <clears throat> I got to Canberra at 4 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Nobody to meet me. Canberra Airport was like a, like a bus stop. Yep. Nobody to meet me. I didn't know where I was staying. I didn't know where I was working. I sat on the bench and I cried. If I'd have had enough money, I'd have got the next plane home. My parents had had enough money. I would have got the next plane home. But I was stuck. And I lived in a uh, hostel called, uh, I'll never forget this. I remember a movie called Starlag 17. 
where there are prisoners of war. Well, I was a bloody <laughs> prisoner of war in E. It was a bleak e, time by the sounds e of it. E fifty two was the number of my. And I remember I went in. I got. I hate reminiscing about this. I went in, and for the first time in my life, I had to use a shared community bathroom. Mm. Oh. Mm. Oh. Sounds like it stayed with you. Oh, oh. <laughs> anyway, I I endured. I endured. Uh, about a year and a half in Canberra. I I did part-time university and the rest yep. of the time I was in the department, but National Service was in. And come January, uh, I had to do three months. They didn't quite know where to put me, a Western Australian in Canberra. Did I yeah. go to somewhere in New South Wales or do I go to Puckapunyal, Pucka it was called, which is just outside of Seymour in Melbourne. So I went in there and i got to tell you, Tim, mm. three months later I came out a man. That really, the discipline I got with national service was terrific. Yeah, I didn't like it at the time. I can tell you, <laughs> but it held you in good stead for no, the I, for the I, career that yeah, uh, that was to follow. Definitely. Well, uh, we'll get into uh, into that right after we take a break, uh, John. John Hughes is our special guest in this edition of Inspiring Stories here on eight eighty two six PR. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since eighteen eighty eight. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest for this edition of Inspiring Stories is John Hughes. John, you just uh, finished telling us about uh, your gruelling but meaningful three-month stint of national service yep. uh, over east, your 18 months in Canberra that, by the sounds of it, you were keen to see the end of. Oh, and then you headed back west. Yeah, Tim, I hated it. <laughs> I used to walk out in the mornings and they, they, you'd get the snow-capped mountains, I suppose, or yeah. whatever, hills around yeah. uh, Canberra, and that wind would blow. It's a, it's a frosty start God, to the day there, isn't no it? No matter what you wore, it would cut you to the bone. Yep. I remember I used to. Anyway, so I came halfway through the year and I tossed it all in and I came back to Perth. I only needed to get a job, obviously. Mm. So I was still studying accountancy at the time. So that was my, uh, I suppose, goal at, at that point was to be an accountant. So I saw an advertisement in the paper, wanted Clark, Atwood Motors, Stirling Street, Perth. Now, I'm a Fremantle boy, didn't know where Stirling Street was. So I get off the bus and I go over, I think it was the Horseshoe Bridge or somewhere, and I front up to the showroom with brand new Vauxhall cars and Bedford trucks. I thought, oh, this is pretty special. Mm. And they said, oh, son, no, the job's not here. It's 300 yards down the road. It was a broken-down old horse stable called McEnroe, <laughs> and it was a panel-beating shop. Yep. And in those days, they used to panel-beat. Now, if you have a prang in your car, you throw the guard off, and they put a new one on. But in the old yep. days, they had a thing called Knock a dolly. Yeah, shape. bang, bang, crash, mm. noisy, dusty, dirty. Anyway, that's where I started. I was a clerk in the panel-beating shop. Came the end of the year, jobs became more available, and I got offered a position with a chap called Roly Goonan. It was Goonan's. He was a, a mini Harvey Norman in those days. Uh, got offered a job as assistant accountant. And when the sales manager heard that I was leaving, he came down and said to me, oh, he said, I think you've got a bit of potential. <laughs> <laughs> How would you like to be a sales cadet? Well, I was, you know, don't forget, I'm still only 18 and a bit wasn't 19, I don't think. Mm. And sales cadet, well, that sounded pretty special because yeah. I thought, well, I might get a three-button suit. I mean, I've got to tell you, a three-button suit was a big deal. It was deal. a big deal. And I didn't have the money for a three-button suit. And drive around in a new Vauxhall? Yeah. Good enough for me. I said, yeah, I'll take it. Well, I never got a three-button suit. I? I, never, <laughs> I never got to drive in a brand-new Vauxhall. But I was the clerk on the floor, and I used to handle the inquiries for people coming in, and I'd arrange for getting the new vehicles ready. But... 
There was something inside of me. I don't know what it was. was eating away. I had a fascination for used cars. Mm-hmm. I used to go up into the used car manager's office at lunchtime and I'd sit in the cars you've never heard of today, Ford Pilot, Triumph Vanguards, Armstrong, Sidley, Sapphires, and I'd sit there and I thought, my God, how good is this? And I desperately wanted to sell. And Atwoods were holding me back because my job was a clerk on the yep. show floor. Yep. Anyway, uh, finally... I got offered a position at Howard Porter's in Fremantle. They used to sell cars called uh, Austin's. Yep. And being a Fremantle boy, I went down there and I sold new and used, which is what I wanted to do. And then about uh, 18 months, two years after that, Atwoods had a division down in Fremantle opposite the Catholic Church. It's no longer there, the Catholic Cathedral. And uh, the son, uh, Peter Young, son of the of the boss, uh, they approached me and said, would I, being a Fremantle boy, would I like to join them and help them resurrect this? So we started off what was called Atwoods of Fremantle, uh, Peter Young and myself. We had, I think, about 20 used cars. We sold new Chevrolets, I remember, 55, 56 Chevys. Wow. And we had, I think, one cleaner and one salesperson, and that was the extent of it. And that's where I started. Yeah. And, uh, and obviously... Got the bug? Well, still have the bug. Well, we expanded from there. It was called Motorama, and yep. we were on the got a lot of people listening. And if they're anywhere near my vintage, mm. in fact, I had somebody come in here that day said, "Mr. Years, my grandfather bought a car from <laughs> when he was when he was sixteen. I said, "Don't talk to me." I don't know about that. <laughs> but uh, you know, we were on the corner of Sterling and Parry Street. Uh, it was Motorama. Yep, got very big. We had about I don't know seven or eight or nine outlets. I ran them all mm. on behalf of the company. And it was pretty successful. But, Tim, I've told this story before. Yeah, I can remember you talking about a knot in your stomach that Not used everybody to wake you this. up in you the morning. You want me to repeat it? Go for it. Well, it, it, it's what drove me, I can tell you. Mm. I'd just gotten married. I think it was in my early 30s, say 32. I had to borrow the deposit on the house. I had no money. I used to earn good money, but... You know, I was a young guy and I <laughs> enjoyed your life as well. A few nightclubs and <laughs> that, you know, I won't go any further with that. So I didn't have a lot of it, but I'd just gotten married. But I used to wake up in the morning, three or four o'clock regularly with a knot in my gut. And I had all the tests. There was nothing wrong with me, but the knot in my gut persisted. And then one day I saw advertised in the paper um, for auction, for sale, a site at 196 Albany Highway, Victoria Park. Happened to be just over the causeway. <laughs> that famous line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I didn't go to the auction because there was no point. I had no money. But there was something driving me, something pushing me. So I woke up next morning and I rang the agent rather perversely hoping that he'd tell me that it had sold. It yeah. hadn't. So I didn't sleep too well the next night. And I rang them up the next day and I made them an offer that they couldn't possibly accept. I had to get the monkey off my back, something driving me, but I couldn't. It was like hitting your head up against a brick wall. You had Nothing to try you could do, at least. But I had to try, but yep. I knew I couldn't do it. 125 pounds or dollars, whatever it was in those days, I think. Uh, 5% deposit within 60 days, another 5% to 10% in another 60 days, full settlement 120 days after that. Fairy tale terms, couldn't possibly accept it. So I slept well that night. Mm. Knowing that you'd, you'd, you'd thrown an offer in the ring anyway. Exactly. Yeah. I'd, I'd have done it. Well, they rang me and said, it's yours. Wow. So I, <laughs> so I had to get my briefcase and go up and down St. George's Terrace and borrow 120% of what I needed, and you could do that in those days. I was going to say, you could do that then? Yeah, I did. But, Tim, I've got to tell you, the minute I take it on that enormously overpowering financial commitment, made the biggest decision 
including mm. getting married, of course. Biggest decision of my life. Totally overwhelming myself with debt. That knot in my gut went away because that was my body telling me, John, you're not destined to work for other people. Yeah. So that was it. So that knot's never returned? Not. No, no. E- look, listen. even during periods of expansion, yeah, yes, you're no, no, taking look, on further risk. That's a good question. Your body is your best doctor mm. if you listen to it. Now, you know, you'll get an itch, you'll get a scratch, you'll get dandruff, you maybe go off your food, maybe don't sleep properly, and you've got to take a step back and say, "Hey, what is this? What's causing this?" You've got to pin it down, and you've got to solve it. You've got to do something about it. And the other thing is to, if you can't solve it, then there's no point in worrying about it. Mm. What are you going to do about something over which you have absolutely no control? Why, why would you worry about it? Mm. Um, you know, if, well, I won't go into too much detail on that now, but I've had a few experiences in my life and I've been able to train myself to know that you don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah, trust your instincts. Mm. I yep. might talk about that a bit later on. I've got an analogy that I've used. Remind me about my cricket analogy, would you? Okay. It's, it's a good one. I'll write it down. Uh, so... You've got this massive undertaking now. You've yep. you've managed to acquire the finances. Yep. But oh. laden yourself with debt. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah. still the best decision you ever made. Yes, but it does, yes, it was. But it didn't stop there, Tim, because mm. the builder was slow in getting the yard up and I had to make the first payment before I'd sold a car. And and so this this is the site <laughs> that you are that you still occupy. One nine six well it's yep. one of the sites. I've yeah, grown, I've it's, it's grown a little bit since then. Fortunately <laughs> I've grown from there. But yeah, that's the original site. One nine six Albany Highway. What was what was Vic Park like back then? Was uh, was there much much around there? No, no, there wasn't. Um, the causeway, not not then, but not long before, the causeway was made from wood. Wow! Did you believe that? Was <laughs> t- I mean, Vic, Vic Park was sleepy. Yeah, it really was. Nothing, yeah. nothing like it is today. It's getting yeah. quite vibrant, actually. It's, it, it's, it is. It's a good place to to live and and to uh, and to work for that matter. Yeah. No, no, Vic Park was uh, pretty ordinary in those days. Yeah. Do you remember the first car you sold on that lot under your name? God, I wish I did. I wish I did. And I often say now to new co- new people when they start with me, always remember your first mm. car. Mm. That's another good question. Mm. Uh, I regret that I can't remember the first car. You seem like the sort of person who would frame the first check. You know yeah. how people do that? They yeah. frame their first paycheck or, well, absolutely. or whatever, yeah. but uh, never mind. Uh, look, we're going to get into uh, the, the blossoming of your empire after the break, John. Uh, this is John Hughes, our special guest in this edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. Our special guest in this edition is John Hughes. John, we're at the point where you've uh, you've just uh, signed on for your first car lot, your very own car lot in Victoria Park. Uh, that's uh, that's grown a bit since then. But uh, look, can I just ask you? You know, when when someone comes onto the the lot, obviously you've you've got a, a natural way with a with a potential customer. Has your style? developed and, and, and changed at all over the years? Or do you reckon the same principles that you had learnt to that point still apply now? Look, the same principles apply, but my style has changed. You get mellow, you know I mean? Yeah. When I was a lot more aggressive when I was younger. I mean, yeah. Well, you know, I started nothing. I would had my foot on the bottom rung of the ladder and there was a mm. long way up to climb. So 
you know, but but I'll never lose and never have lost that competitive spirit. I often say to people, if there's a job going and it's you or someone else, there's no bloody way it's got to be someone else. Mm. It's got to be you. I mean, mm. that's that's the competitive edge. So I've never lost that. But no, my style has changed. I'm uh, I'm better now. In fact, uh, I say this with the utmost sincerity. Because there's a bit of psychology in there, isn't there? Oh yes. Yeah. yeah there are a lot of oh. Look, I've never ever been in all the time I've been in the business, I've never been more on top of my game because the advantage of, I never pronounce OLD or AGE, the advantage of maturing, (laughs) the advantage of maturing is you learn from your mistakes. Look, we're all allowed to make a mistake, but only a fool makes the same mistake twice. Mm. And if you don't try, you never get anywhere. If you stay at home until all the traffic lights turn green, you never get past the front door. So no problem with having a go and mm. making a mistake, but you learn from that mistake. Mm. And, uh, and and I've learned all the way through, and I take the positives out of everything that I do. And uh, I just I, – I, I'm really, a, I suppose, a, an untrained psychologist because uh, I can sit and talk to somebody in a couple of minutes. I reckon I can suss them out pretty well. I've done it, God knows how many times, what, two, three, four, five hundred thousand <laughs> times, I suppose. How many cars do you reckon you've sold? Yeah, somebody asked me that the other day. I tried to work it out. If I've averaged, and I'm trying to do it, if I average 10,000 a year for 50 years, what's that? Half a million, 600,000, something like that. A lot. A lot lot, lot of cars. There wouldn't be many people uh, in Perth today who haven't either driven or uh, uh, owned or been driven or had a family member or someone who's, who's, who's you know, not had a car from your lot. Well, that's that's true because I survey all of my customers and. you know, we survey who comes in as a result of radio or television or walk by or website or whatever it might mm. be. But overwhelmingly, Tim, overwhelmingly, the top three are repeat business, personal recommendation, reputation. If you're yep. building a business, anyone out there listening is in business or starting a business, that, that's what you want. It's the people. You deal with your public. You deal with them. You look after them. And when you say, have I learned anything? Yes, I've learned you listen more. You yeah. sit and listen to people. It's not about what you want. It's about what, what they want. So, so what's the secret then? Without giving too much away, uh, John Hughes, how do you sell a car? What's the secret? Well, first thing is the meeting and the greeting. It's pretty obvious. A smile, a shake of the hand, the use of a name, um, a, a friendly approach, non-pushy. People hate pushy salespeople. Mm. Mind you, you have to be persistent. Yeah. You've heard the story about the two salespeople that um, had a beer on a Friday night. One said to the other, how did you go? He said, I had a very good week. I made a lot of very good contacts. The other fellow said, yes. He said, I didn't sell anything either. <laughs> so, so you know, but you still, you still have to be, you could be not pushy, but you need to be persistent. The important thing is to get to know people, just to yep. understand people. Yep. Find out what they really want. And not everybody tells you precisely. You've got to listen with the third ear. Sometimes public will tell you something, people will tell you something that there is a, there's another meaning there or maybe they're not even sure about it themselves. Yep. You need to help. I often say to my salespeople, in selling, as in medicine, prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. You've got to understand what people want, how you're going to be using it, who's going to be driving it, how often will you use it. You know, do you really need a diesel? Are you going off-road? Are you going to be towing? How many kilometres a year will you do? All of that. It's getting to understand the customer, sitting down and becoming uh, an, an advisor, really. 
Yeah. How do you rationalize then? I suppose uh, I'm, I'm just imagining, um, you know, that moment of dilemma where you've got someone, for want of a better phrase, and perhaps this is a, not the right way to put it, but in the palm of your hand, mm. um, you know, they're, they're loving what you're saying. <laughs> you've got a car that might be out of, really, it's going to put them in a bit of financial strain with repayments. How do you cut off and just go, you know what, I could sell that car to them, but I know it's oh, going to put them under a bit of pressure. Yeah. Is that a is that a dilemma that, that yes it is that you people yes, yes, it that, is, that you Tim. and your staff face? Yes, it is, Tim. And you know that is a big problem because you might make that decision or I might make that mm. decision. Say, for example, you're coming in to buy a car from me, and I don't think that the car is the right car for you. It's too dear. It's too big. It's too small. It's not suitable. Whatever. But you want to buy it. Yeah. And you want to pay for it. Yeah. Now, if I try and discourage you. Every chance you'll go away and buy that same car or similar car somewhere else, and mm. I've lost a sale. Mm. So I've got to be very careful how we handle that. You know, and, and I, look, I could, it would be many, many, many thousands of times people have come in and said to me, they want to spend $10,000, that's an absolute limit, can't spend a dollar more. And they go away two or three hours later spending twelve or 13000 mm. So were, they, was, were we wrong in selling them up or were, were we right in convincing them for another two or $3,000 to get a much better value? Mm. Now, there's the quandary. Look, yeah. people, people talk about the car industry. It's not, it hasn't got the reputation, uh, the adverse reputation now that it used to have, particularly in the older days. But look, you give an example. You go in, say you're going to buy a tie. Not too many people here are wearing ties today, I see. <laughs> but I insist that my people buy ties. Well, let's take ties as an example. You're going to buy a tie, and the tie is, I've got no idea, so it's $50 for a tie. So then you go to the shop and you say, uh, well, I've got an old tie. I'd like to trade it in. Oh, I don't do that. Well, the guy around the road, around the corner, he'll trade it in. Well, well, let him. I won't do it. So the customer goes away, you don't sell a tie. Somebody else comes in, something happens. You think, well, I better do something. I better start trading in ties, otherwise yeah. I'm going to lose business. Yeah. So then you start trading in ties. So you say, I'll give you $5 for the old tie. Oh, yeah, but the guy around the road will give me $10. Yeah. Well, no, I won't pay 10 I'll pay 5 So you don't see him again, and you lose more business. So then you start paying 10 mm. Then you get involved in the negotiating process. Is the customer telling you the truth? Are you giving your best price right up front? Yeah. And that's the that's what happens when you're dealing in the car business. Yeah, it's, oh. ne it's negotiation. All about the margins, isn't it? Yep. I want to talk to you about uh, those some of those old school values. Just you touched on it there with the tyres. We're going to get into that uh, right after the break. This is uh, inspiring stories with John Hughes on eight eighty two six PR. You're listening to inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since eighteen eighty eight. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. And our special guest in this edition is John Hughes, the man who's been selling cars to West Australians for some 60 years. Uh, John, you were talking uh, just before about, uh, about ties. It reminded me of, uh, of a story I once heard about some of the, uh, the, 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 the standards that you insist upon uh, for your staff. One of them... No yellow ties. Yep. Uh, another one. No pink shirts. No yep. facial hair. Yep. No um, no jangling jewellery. No jangling jewellery. 
Only two colour socks they're allowed to wear, black or dark grey. I'm talking about the, I'm, I'm talking about the males now, of course. If someone comes in who's got a, a fantastic sales record, comes mm. in, you know, with yeah. some of those uh, things yeah. on the band list, yeah. are they instantly out? No, or, no, or do you give them a chance to, uh, well, they, to, well, to if you, toss the pink shirt in the bin and no, if change we, the socks? And, okay, well, if we say, okay, well, we think you're, you're okay, well, you pass all the tests, uh, start next Monday, yep. but you better come clean shaven okay. and I don't want to see a pink shirt. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> There's no, there's no problem with that. Yeah. They, you know, it's my way or the highway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I think you've earned that right now. Yep. Um, one of the other stories that I, I, I love about uh, the standards that you set for yourself uh, was the the time you you, you bought yourself a, a Jaguar. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, but you had it for a number of hours. I picked it up at five o'clock on a Thursday afternoon, and that night my wife and I were going to a function, and as we were parking the car, there was a chap... They're putting his young children in a Mitsubishi Nimbus, a little people mover. He looked across at me and he said, Mr. Hughes, I'm a client of yours. I said, thank you. And he looked at the Jaguar. He looked back at me and he said, why don't you drive what you sell? Well, there's like a dagger in my heart and he was twisting it. He was absolutely right. So eight o'clock the next morning, I dropped the car back. I think I lost $10,000 overnight. And ever since then, Tim, I've driven what I sell. I work on the three H's, humble, humane and honest. Yep. And part of being humble is keep your feet firmly on the ground and I drive what I sell. My grandmother, who was a matriarch of the family, taught me a lot. And one of the things she said i never forgotten, and that was pride comes before a fall. The minute you pump yourself up with self-importance, thinking you're better than you really are, that's when you're about to come crashing down. Mm. I've never forgotten that. It's a good lesson, isn't it? Mm. If uh, if you could drive any car in the world, John, obviously you're a car lover. You, uh, um, you know, I don't want to no, sound inappropriate here, but you've got the means to, yeah, to, to buy pretty much any yeah. car you want. What, not, would you, what would you drive? I'm not really a car lover. I mean, they're a tool to trade. Oh, you know what I would – well, there was a thing called a Bugatti Veyron. I saw it yep. on Top Gear. Hammond, yep. was it, the yep. guy with the long hair? Yep. Uh, in the uh, Volkswagen track around East Berlin. He got it up to 400, what's that, 250 <laughs> miles an something, hour. Something ridiculous. Oh, my God. How would yeah, that be? you could handle one of those. Yeah. Uh, look, it hasn't always been smooth sailing for you uh, in, a, in a business sense. Yep. Uh, you know, people know you as presiding over the, the biggest single car lot in the yep. country. Yep. Um, but there's been oh, yeah. a bump or two along I the nearly, way. I nearly went under uh, 72, 73, I think it was, and I know exactly what I did wrong, and I'll never do it again. And again, I've given this advice to many people in business. I expanded too quickly, and I delegated too loosely. Hmm. I took my eye off the ball. and uh, That doesn't I, sound like you from what, I, I did. From what I've got from no, you today. No, I lost the plot for about uh, yeah. 12 months. I did. Uh, got off the boil, went off the boil, and uh, I paid for it. I, I yeah. nearly went under, mm. lost, lost just about everything. Just yeah. held onto my house. Um, well, it doesn't matter what I lost, but it was a, a, a it was a lot anyway. Mm. And uh, but you're like a boxer, I guess, knocked down. You get up at the count of eight. You punch your gloves together, and you keep fighting, and mm. that's what you do. Mm. Tell us this cricket analogy then, well, before that, I forget that, to ask you. Well, that's timely, Tim, because yeah. I lead into it. That was uh, that was a situation that I that I had to address. Look. I think handling the strains and stresses and pressures of life, and I've had plenty, is a bit like a game of cricket. You've got a piece of wood in your hand called a bat. You've got three sticks behind you called stumps. You've got ten people out there wanting to catch you out, and you've got one person at the other end who's going to throw a hard, round red ball at you six times. Now, on average, four of those six balls you don't play. You put your bat on your shoulder and let them go harmlessly past. They won't hurt you 
if you don't play them. Anger, envy, fear, depression, self-doubt, any number of things. Don't play them. They won't hurt you if you don't touch them. Put your mm. bat on your shoulder and let them go past. Now, on average, one of those six balls is a good ball. That's on what they call good length, and it's on the middle stick, and you've got to deal with that. Mm. So you get your body behind your bat, and you go, bang, kill it dead. It can't fix you, can't hurt you anymore. You've dealt with it. And, Tim, on average, one of those six balls is a loose ball you can score from. Mm. The trouble is, too many people try to play every ball, and too few people know which balls to let go, which ball to block, and which ball to score from. And, Tim, I shoulder my bat hmm. 20, 30 times a day. It's the modern T20 mentality, isn't it? <laughs> Got yeah. to hit every ball for six. Yeah. Well, I hadn't <laughs> thought about that. Oh, the, the, the metaphor's uh, got, a, got a modern edge to it now. Mm. Um, John, you, you've, you've been doing this now for a, a long time. I don't want to ask the impolite question and ask you how old you are. But 82. There you go. Okay. Um, it's only a couple of numbers. You still keep an extraordinary uh, routine, don't you? You yep. know, every day yep. you're there yep. in yep. Vic yep. Park. Yep, love it. Yeah. Why? You don't. You don't have to do this anymore. No, I tell you what. Passion, ego, and pride. Now, ego and pride are not not, not dirty words, not at all. You need you need to have an ego. Yeah. You need to want to be the best or one of the best. And you need to have pride in what you do, mm. you know, justifiable pride I'm talking about. And uh, I just want to be the best at what I do. Alan Bond said to me a long time ago, John, you're like the engine driver who drives the train from first to Fremantle and back. All you do is go from first to Fremantle and back. A bit too one-tracked, a bit too... Mm. Well, I've got to tell you, Tim, I'm still driving that train from first to Fremantle mm. and back. That's all I do. But I reckon, I reckon I'm... Uh, <laughs> up there with the very best engine drivers in the world. Mm. Oh, I have no doubt. I remember when Hyundai came to Australia. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, there was a job to do to convince uh, oh. people that these Korean cars were worth driving. 1986, they couldn't pronounce the name. They didn't know where in South Korea How did was. I go pronouncing it then, by the I way? Know, I think we used, okay. to call it, we used to call it Hyundai, but it's yeah. Hyundai or Hyundai. Hyundai. Yeah. In America, they, it's Sunday rhymes with Sunday. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a real challenge to get yeah. dealers on board, but look at the now, look how well that's going. Exactly. Uh, Chinese cars, do you see them uh, yeah. uh, going having to go through that similar transformation? Yes. I, I bought in a couple of Chinese cars, which didn't cut the mustard. They'll be mm. premature probably. But I've just taken on MG, which is partly owned Chinese, uh, the old MG brand, mm. partly, partly owned by Chinese and also owned by Volkswagen and General Motors. So we've got some pretty solid hitters behind mm. us and they're coming out with a six and a seven-year warranty. So I'm pretty confident about those. Two. Yeah. Mm. Uh, electric cars, driverless cars. Yeah. What are your thoughts on them? Next, next question. <laughs> I'm not a visionary, Tim. I'm not a visionary. I mean, I'm, I'm very good at having... I mean, someone's still going to have to sell them. Well, I'll still be around, I hope. But, yeah. you know, I'm very good when things get to the point of my nose, but you try and ask me to project. <laughs> I'm not good at that. Yeah. They'll come, driverless cars and... Uh, yeah. It, it'll, it'll change the, uh, the interaction to some extent, though, won't it, between well, it, it, it will, but look, you're customer asking the wrong guy because, uh, I mean, I, I, I pulled out my phone the other day and people laughed at me. I've got an old black Nokia. Well, look, I, you I'm know, not, it, I'm not technologically. I remember reading a, an interview about you, but it would have been about six, seven years ago, and I, I, I had to read it twice because I think you said in there, I, I still don't text. No, 
I don't turn the turn a computer on. No. Has that changed at all? No. I've got a computer on my desk that's been there just coming up for its 12 months anniversary. <laughs> I've yet to turn it on. It's just a big no, paperweight. I shouldn't. I'm not bragging about it. Look, I'm not no, bragging. No, I, I applaud it. Good oh, on you. No, I'm being dragged screaming into the 21st yeah. century. That's yeah. one of the four balls you let go through to the keeper. That's it. Yeah. Good on you. Um, hobbies, lastly. Uh, what do you, I mean, no. you don't leave yourself much, no. uh, much time in the day. Look, seriously, if you really want to be successful in business, you don't get a lot of uh, selfish personal time. No, it's family, it's business, and as much as we can, travel. So my wife and I can spend some time together, Tim. But no, no other interests. That's it. Mm. All right. Well, John, it's been fascinating hearing from you, and congratulations on your success, and long may it continue. All right. Thank you. Appreciated it. That is uh, John Hughes. Uh, a name familiar to so many who's uh, bought a car in this uh, fair city. Thank you very much again, John Hughes, for sharing with us your inspiring story. Uh, everyone has a story to tell, and this one is brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Please join us again next time for another edition of Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Bower and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91